You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Kim Reynolds of Dogman.com with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund, Cal versus Washington, 7.30 kickoff at Cal Berkeley Stadium. Is there a name for that stadium, Chris, that I'm just uh, kind of spacing on? Uh, Tightwad Hill? No, wait, hold yeah. on. That, just Memorial Stadium. Okay, Memorial but it's, Stadium. But it's in Strawberry Canyon. You got Tightwad You got all sorts of different parts of that stadium that, that, are, that are all part of the Cal Berkeley lore. Yeah, you know, and I, if you saw my prediction, I said, you know, funny things happen at Cal, and there's always seems to be something weird going on down there. Not necessarily, not necessarily detrimental to Washington, but I think they have to avoid some of the weirdness. And rumor has it that Marshawn Lynch is being inducted into the Hall of Fame, and he's going to come out on that golf cart. Were you were you there when he did that, Chris, back yes. in the day? Yes. How there. many people did he almost hit? Um, I just remember him doing enough weaving that it was okay. And once, and once people kind of understood that he was doing what he was doing, they were pretty quick to, to get out of the way and let him kind of do his business. But rumor has it, the admins were really, really nervous when they were seeing that going on. Yeah. The the crazy letter was eight o'clock at night. You're going to let Marshawn loose in a golf court out on a football field. I don't know. The crazy part was that, if I remember correctly, well, well, that was the same game. Um, was that the same game where Washington scored on the last play? I think and so. Then they yeah. went, and then they went for they went for one instead of two. Yeah, to send it to overtime. Yep. Carl, yeah, uh, Carl like, Bunnell to uh, who was the little receiver who caught it? Wood. Um, yeah. Wood. Yeah, Marlon Wood. Marlon Marlon Wood, Wood. Yep. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like you know, you're, you you've all of a sudden got these guys absolutely shocked to the core. They're scrambling. Why aren't you going for two on that? I've always wondered. You know that. why they didn't go for two? Well, I know, I know why. <laughs> yeah, I know why they didn't go for two, but it's always stunned me that they didn't take advantage of that opportunity, especially since they were never really in that game. It felt like. Well, it's, so, you know, what's really wild about Memorial Stadium down there, they put all this money into uh, upgrading the stadium, and you go in and you go, where'd the money go? Because it looks like 80% of it went into earthquake retrofitting, and they spent millions and hun- hundreds of millions of dollars on that place, and it still looks the same. Maybe a new coat of paint, a new press. Well, box. it's built on a fault line. Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, I was going to say, I mean, you're going to get a chance to see it later tonight. I mean, we're obviously recording this before you leave for the stadium, but you know, I you will obviously talk about this post game too. I think you you might have a much different opinion about that after the game's over because at least from my recollections of going there and seeing it and covering the games while the renovation was going on, it looked like it could it had a chance to be pretty spectacular. Yeah, it's still Cal, so <laughs> it's a but it's a cool setting. I don't know. I don't have. I think it's. I think it's cool. Hey, but, remember when we couldn't find the parking lot? The media lot was full down there, Chris. Oh yeah, we parked uh, parked at the fraternity. Twenty bucks and all you could drink. Yeah, it would it would have been good if it was just twenty bucks parking. But <laughs> as it turned out, they they had a perk in there, and unfortunately, we couldn't take advantage of it at the time. But uh, yeah, that's a hell of a deal. You're telling me that's a, you know, what if what if Washington had that kind of situation? I know their uh, frat row is quite a ways away from Husky Stadium, but man, a lot. If you had that option, how cool would that have been? I had my eyes on that Potter's vodka. <laughs> it was gone by the time we got back. Yuck. Potter's vodka. I've never even heard of that. Yeah, I know. Pretty That's terrible. why. <laughs> oh, sounds awful. Is it pretty much any drink that starts with a P is pretty much going to be bad. So anyways. Uh, I think this, that's the kind of vodka you stick in the punch bowl, right? And just forget about it. 
Yeah, I just remember a buddy of mine completely hammered and he wanted another Jack and Coke and I couldn't find any um, uh, Jack Daniels. So I just found a little bit of tequila, a little bit of vodka, gave him that, poured some Coke in it and he was good. <laughs> there you go. Good friend I am. But uh, anyways, this uh, this game today, Cal coming off a terrible, terrible, terrible toss uh, loss last week at Colorado. They didn't look good at all. I'm kind of expecting a bounce back from Cal as bad as they looked. But it's kind of unusual, Scott, to see a quarterback at Cal with a last name not of Garbers. Yeah, yeah. It seemed like he'd been there forever. Yeah, it does seem like he had been there forever. And, you know, I – I, I too, I, I was on another radio show uh, earlier this week and I said, you know, as bad as Cal looked last week, I expect a completely different team than what we watched when they played at Colorado. I think they, they came out um, very flat against Colorado and I think Colorado was amped up and ready to go. And you see what happens when you aren't ready to go in the, in this league, man, you, you better be ready to go because teams can reach out and, and grab you. And, I think Cal got got hit by that. I don't think we're going to see the same team. I think they're going to be well motivated. I think Justin Wilcox and his staff, they do a good job of getting their guys ready to go. And I think they're going to be ready to go for Washington today. That's just too, too good of a coaching staff to come out two weeks in a row flat like that. I have a lot of respect for Justin Wilcox and what he's done down there. And Chris, you know better than anybody. That's a difficult job down there. They don't. When Cal was really good, and they had the guys like Marshawn Lynch and all those kind of guys, they were getting guys into school. There's no way in hell that they would get in now. There's a lot of um, restrictions down there on who they can bring in and the type of guys that they can bring in. It's uh, not like it was when Jeff Tedford was there. Well, I was going to say, and I don't know if they closed the loophole or if they just changed it or what have you, but it's always been in my mind back in the day that any any student athlete that had gotten a degree through the two-year system in in California, their JUCO system, was automatically eligible to transfer directly into one of the state schools, including Cal Berkeley. And now, I may be completely wrong about that, but that always stuck in my mind as one of the reasons why they were able to get guys like Aaron Rodgers and some of these other guys, um, because they had played in junior colleges Aaron, and then we're able Aaron to make, Rogers, a lot not a lot of people understand that Aaron Rodgers was a Juco guy yeah and then he played at Butte, Butte College yeah. and so um you know so I always remember that and I don't know if that's changed I don't know if they because of whether it's population or what have you maybe they just couldn't afford to do that um I don't I don't know and I'm just I don't want to speak any more about it because I don't I know enough about it to be dangerous but um Yeah, back in the day, they were able to get some really, really, really good players. And it's not like they don't have really, really good players now. Um, Now they can supplement things in another way through the transfer portal. And they've done that, especially on offense, getting guys like Jack Plummer from Purdue and some of these other players. So, um, yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. I do agree with Scott that I think we're going to see a reaction from uh, from California based on what happened at at Colorado. The one thing I am going to be curious about is that I haven't really been able to see a definitive update yet on the status of Jeremiah Hunter, who went out uh, against Colorado, and and he's their leading receiver. And if Plummer doesn't have his leading receiver, that can that can really be a huge issue because as good as Jay Knott's been, the true freshman running the ball, they've really had to rely on him more and more and more. And if Washington can key on Ott and really force Plummer into going downfield. I think that's where Washington can have some success. But that that's the question I have is whether or not Hunter is going to be available and whether he's going to be at 100%. Hey, Scott, looking down the depth chart earlier this week at Cal, I, I was just kind of glancing down there and seeing how many guys at Washington and Cal went head-to-head against. And usually you see a handful. I didn't see a lot. Yeah, there there is a few. But Jaden Knott was definitely one that Washington offered. I don't know how much he really considered them, but uh, they, he was a guy that Washington offered and, and was after for, for a little while at least. And, and uh, you know, they've got some linemen that usually, that usually Washington goes after. Uh, Nate Burrell uh, is a guy that he's one of their edge guys. Um, he's a guy that Washington offered and actually was favored for and Washington dropped him. And so uh, he decided to go to Cal and, and he's doing really well for himself right now. But, you know, other than that, you know, um, 
Washington and, and Cal are going to battle for some guys, but I think more than more uh, Trey Pastor was another one. That's a backup linebacker for them um, that Washington is was on as well. Um, I I think Washington and, and Cal will recruit a lot of the same guys, especially with the staff that was from Fresno State. Uh, you know they're going to be on a lot of the same Bay Area guys and, and Northern California guys that Cal was on. But um, I think more often than not, Washington is probably going to be um, looking at a little bit I don't want to I don't want to say the Cal doesn't get high caliber players because they do have some high caliber players I think Washington is just going to go after a little bit different guy than what Cal is going after on a regular basis yeah and just I'll get a chance to say hello to our former intern Marshall Charrington who's running recruiting down there for Cal and well I'll make sure to say hi to his hair for you Scott because he's probably yes. still got the cool hair how I'll, I'll ask him over under how many different hair products he's using in his hair what's your over under I say oh, three. I say three. I say two. I say two. I got three. What do you got, Chris? Cali- being in California, I'd say five. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's a little high maintenance, so we'll make sure to say hi to Marshall down there. Hey, that, oh, he, that, you said that. I we, we Yeah, I didn't not, say I that. that. No. <laughs> I'll make sure to say hi to Marshall for all you guys, but it's always good to catch up with Marshall. He's a good kid, and he still sucks at golf. But anyways, you know, Chris, you mentioned their wide receiver uh you know, possibly being out in Washington's, uh, you know, trying to key on Ott and forcing Plummer to throw. That still worries me a little bit with the depth issues back in Washington secondary. Are they getting anybody back this week? Well, listening to, you know, both Coach DeBoer and Coach Inge, I mean, they were, you know, hesitant on guys coming back. The only one they said that wasn't going to be available for sure was Michelle Powell, which is starting to get concerning. And it's just when you're out this long, he's been out since what week four yeah. and yeah. Now into week eight. So he's been gone at least a month. Um, that's concerning. And that makes me wonder because usually the coach, coach DeBoer would be pretty matter of fact about it. If it was a real long, like if he was going to be out the rest of the year, I think we would have already known that. I don't, so I get the sense that maybe this is a lingering injury for Powell. So I'm not really sure. When we but, see him on the but, sideline, he's not in a boot. He's not limping. He doesn't have a harness on or anything. There's nothing that you can see that's obviously wrong. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's strange, right? It's just yeah. strange. But, um, you know, in terms of, you know, we don't know really know what the status of Julius Irvin is. We do know guys like Devon Banks and Elijah Jackson are banged up. So they're, you know, if they're going to play, they probably still won't be at 100%. But there's probably not many players that are even close to 100%. At this point in the season, especially playing eight weeks straight and their bye week coming after this game. So, yeah, there's there's no question that the the team's going to be beat up. And, and remember, Cal's already had their bye week, so they've gotten their chance to get a little fresher um, and a little bit more rest. So that's going to help them. And obviously playing at home is, is a huge factor. Um, but it's interesting because I always look forward to Pat Thrapp's uh, by the numbers because you look at the statistical breakdown – I don't know if there is going to be a closer statistical breakdown uh, for Washington's defense this year than Cal's offense, because right now the only major statistical difference is is really in the scoring, because Washington's giving up almost 29 points a game, but Cal's only scoring 24 points a game. But if you look at everything else, everything else is pretty equal. I mean, Cal's averaging about 380 yards a game. Washington's giving up about 376. Um, the, the, the rushing stats are within about 10 yards. The passing stats are within 10 yards. So if the, those teams, those, those, that specific matchup that we're talking about right now, guys, extremely even, I think this is where it comes down to those cliched moments, whether you're talking about the sudden change plays, turnovers, those types of things, fuel position, because the one thing that I really noticed is that Cal has been feasting on turnovers and what did, uh, Scott talked about earlier this week. He talked about the the pitch to Wayne Talapapa uh, deep into our deep into Washington's territory against UCLA. He talked about the pick six at Arizona State. Washington absolutely cannot afford to give up those types of plays because then we'll see that we'll probably see the same type of result. And Scott, those are the funny things I'm talking about that always seem to happen down at Cal. Yeah, and and we like you know it, well, yeah, because here, guys, real quick, you remember what happened the last time Washington played at Cal? What happened? Uh, Jake Browning Jake got benched. Yeah. Jake Hayner came in the game 
Evan Weaver pick six. Those are yeah. the, again, those are the plays that you absolutely cannot happen in games like these. For those Fox who are listening, it was Chris Fetters who brought that up. That was Chris. Yeah. Chris Fetters brought that up. What? I can still I remember. I can still remember everybody clamoring, uh, everybody on the boards clamoring for Jake Hayner to get in, and I they got what they wanted. Yeah, they got what they wanted. I will say Peterson did him no favors in putting oh, no. him in situation but I, I would say of all yeah. the decisions that chris peterson made at washington and there were thousands that was probably his biggest mistake yeah that i would i was just like what are you doing you know um and who am i to to question a future hall of fame coach but man that was like wow i did not see that coming at all so um but anyway yeah i mean they got to stay away from the turnovers i mean if washington doesn't turn over the ball if they if they just uh you know, play sound uh, offensive football. They don't turn it over um, and and things like that. I think Washington's going to come away with a relatively easy win. But, you know, I, I man, I, it's just after seeing some of the things that have happened on the road so far this year, I have no confidence that something weird isn't going to happen. You know, it's kind of funny because Bill Musgrave is the offensive coordinator down at Cal. And, you know, he's got the NFL pedigree. He's got, you know, a longtime quarterback in the Pac-10. Uh, Pac-12, and he's under a lot of fire down there at Cal. Uh, if you're Bill Musgrave, where are you attacking this Washington de- defense with the tools that you have? Well, you would think you would think through yeah. the air. I mean, you, you would use you would use your freshman running back, who's been really really good, but you'd try to get him a little bit more in terms of being just one of the guys that Jack Plummer distributes the ball to, instead of just him. And in talking to Jackson Moore this week, the publisher for the Cal site on the 24-7 Sports Network, it sounds like uh, either teams are starting to figure out Ott's kind of what his style of play is, but then it also sounds like California has been leaning, leaning on him more and more and more to be that focal point for production. And I don't care what anyone says. I don't care if you're Maurice Claret. Or, or any other fab freshman that comes in and thinks they can they can do it all, at some point you're going to hit the wall and you're not going to be as productive later in the season as you were starting out when you were 100% fresh, no one knew anything about you, no one knew how to game plan against you. Now everyone does. There's tons of film on him. So I, it sounds like if you're, if you're Bill Musgrave, and then we also want to talk about Steve Greatwood, the longtime Pac-12 assistant, who's now at California again to kind of be an analyst and and to help Musgrave, it sounds like, um, with their game planning, because he's an offensive line guy, and it sounds like their real struggles have been along the offensive line. So if they can get that together and they can really start distributing the ball to more than just Ott or Jeremiah Hunter, even if he is available, then that probably would be the way to do it. So if you you didn't have to key on one guy, long story short, that would be the way to do it. Yeah, and just, you know, the passing game worries me, but, you know, Washington hasn't been real effective stopping the run either, Scott, and that running backs, he seems like the real deal. Even yeah, he, he does. Um, I think Washington's going to, um, Washington's going to, I think they played the run a little bit better. I know it didn't look great at times against Arizona, but I think Washington did a pretty good job of, of stopping the run uh, last week. The, the thing is, you know, for the last three weeks, the quarterback, I, I'm sorry, the last three road games, the quarterback was the one who really made the difference. And and like I, I've said several times, Plummer is not a statue. He's not Tanner McKee back there, but he's also not. He's not Garbers. Yeah, he's not Garbers. He's not DTR. He's not any of these really mobile quarterbacks. He wants to throw. He wants to move around and make it so that he can get throws down the field. But, you know, when Jaden Delara. I mean, you watch Washington get up the field and then he's just able to run underneath the edge guy and get out and get you 10, 15 yards. It seemed like every time he he decided to run with the ball and I that that is not what Plummer is going to do. And I think that's going to help Washington get home a little bit more. I think you're going to see a few more linebacker blitzes from Alfonso Tupatala and Cam Bright when they do drop back. But, I, I mean, the Huskies have to be sure tacklers because Jaden Knott will not go down. He reminds me a lot of Miles Gaskin from the standpoint that he does not go down with the first hit. You cannot arm tackle him. You have to get multiple hats on him and get him down. And I think Washington's going to have a real focus on doing that early on in this game so they can make Cal one-dimensional. 
And Scott, I thought that, you know, at the beginning of the year when the coaches saw, uh, told us they thought that the strength of this team was on the edge, we just haven't seen it the last several games where the, you know, ZTF, Jeremiah Martin, uh, Jalen, Braylon Trice, we haven't seen, you know, a dominant game from them in a while since Michigan State. So I, I, I kind of get the feeling that we may see that this weekend. Well, actually, I mean, I thought they were even more dominant against Stanford, but that was once again because of Tanner McKee and the fact that they used that slow mesh. And, and I still don't think Stanford had really gotten it down. I still don't think they've gotten it down, but they obviously did against Notre Dame. But when it when it comes to um, when it comes to the edge, guys, I mean, Jeremiah Martin had probably his best game as a Husky last week, getting two sacks on Jaden Delara. The Huskies at the very end when they needed to get a sack were able to get that one off of the edge by Boyd Tanufi. Um, you know, I think Washington's starting to figure out different ways that they can use the pieces that they have up front. Boyd Tanufi is a guy who can get you some pass rush from the, the problem is they aren't getting a lot of pass rush up the middle. And so when you send those guys wide, those edge guys out to be a nine technique and they're running up the field and they're making things real tough on the on the tight ends or the or the defensive end. Or I'm sorry, the uh, offensive tackles. You know, you have to get a push up the middle so the quarterback doesn't have room to just escape under the where the edge had vacated. And so um, I think Washington's got to figure out a way to get more penetration with their defensive tackles. And Cal's offensive line is not very good. And Washington should be able to get a little bit more of a push than they've gotten in pre in recent weeks. Hey, Scott, real you quick, real quick, Scott, real quick, you mentioned the push up the middle, but a lot of the time it looks like the defensive ends are going too wide and it's allowing them to step up. Is that because they're just not getting the pressure up front? Yes, that's exactly what it is. The the if you watch an NFL game when you see some of the good pass rushing teams, or even just in college football, you see good pass rushing teams. It's the edge guys getting upfield, but it's also the middle guys, the guys up the middle who are right in the, every quarterback will tell you they don't mind a guy coming off of their blind side or from their side or from their front side. They want they don't like a guy who's right in their face. And so the push up the middle is always the really tough part for quarterbacks to handle. The other thing I would add real quick, guys, is that, yes, when you're going up against a guy like Delora, sometimes you're trying to spill him intentionally inside because you might have a spy or you might have someone there. To try to, you know, you're trying to get them exactly in the lane that you want to so that you can clean them up. The only difference was Delora was ridiculously elusive and he was making their spies look kind of foolish because they were either too far away and so he could easily go around them or he was able to juke them with one move and get around that way. My feeling on this is, is because you're dealing with a much uh, a guy like Plummer, who's not just going to stay in the pocket a little bit more, but he's not going to be anywhere near as elusive. He is a guy where maybe you see more the the, the delayed blitzes by like a Tupatala or a Bruner or someone like that, where now all of a sudden, if those guys are going wide and he steps up, now all of a sudden you've got a delayed guy like a Tupatala in his face and he's got nowhere to go. So there are ways to 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 kind of mitigate that wide rush, I, I I see the wide rush being more of a problem for Cal this week than certainly it was for Arizona last week. When you go over to the Washington's offensive side of the ball, Michael Panic's coming off of a huge, huge week. Uh, you know, it, will he continue that, uh, or will he um, have a little bit of a letdown on the offense? I think he's going to come out on fire. Washington, every game this year, am I correct in this? That every game this year, Washington has scored on their first offensive drive. Yes, they have. And they, other than the uh, Arizona State game, they had scored on every first drive of the second half as well, Kim. Yeah, it just seems to me, and I, I said this last week, if uh, if I'm playing Washington and I'm winning the toss, I'm not going to give them the ball. Uh, I'm taking the ball because it just seems like you're going to be playing from behind the minute you give them the ball because they've been scoring every – they scored a touchdown on every one of their first drives this year. Are you taking the yep. ball or are you giving it back to them, Chris? I don't think it really matters. I think on the road like that, I, I I'd defer. If I won the toss, I'd defer. I would I would I would put the onus on Cal's offense to score first. And if they don't, now all of a sudden, if they do score on their first possession, now you can almost it's not like you can assume that Washington's gonna score on their first possession in the third quarter, but they've been really, really, really good at it. So it's it's a way not so much to steal a possession. But it's a way to 
kind of put the onus on them. And if it doesn't work out for them, now all of a sudden you've got some, maybe a little bit of money in the bank that you can use as you're going through it to kind of see how things go. Hey, Scott, I had a conversation earlier this week with Jamarcus Shepard and just asking, because I'm still not sure of the answer to this question, but I can't ever recall seeing a Washington offense where I've seen wide receivers open. I mean, like as wide open as they are so often in this offense. Is this a matter of the scheme that they're running? Is it a matter of they've got really good wide receivers or are they playing really poor defense? Because Jamarcus said that, you know, the wide receivers kind of joke around that Jamarcus could get their mothers open. And I asked Jamarcus which mother he could get the most wide open. And he said probably Roma Dunsey's mom, but why are these wide receivers getting so wide open? There's just so many passes where there's just nobody around them. It's scheme. It's a lot of it is scheme. I'm not saying they, they couldn't win some of these battles one-on-one, but when Washington has struggled, it's when they've been in uh, press, press, uh, press coverage. And I, I don't think Washington is, it has dealt with that very well. I don't think the run, the quarter, uh, ah, the wide receivers have, have dealt with it very well. Um, and they, they need to get better at it. And I think as they get better at it, that's going to make them even that much more dangerous. I, I still think Washington thrives off of zone coverage. I think Ryan Grubb probably, uh, play, I, what, I wonder what the, I don't, I don't have the numbers on this, but I wonder what the percentages of, of what is there? 130, 135, however many pack, uh, you know, FBS teams there are in this country, I wonder what the percentage is that play cover two or at least zone coverage is their main package. I would bet it's over 70% that cover that because of the talent at wide receiver nowadays. They think they can do better. And I think Ryan Grubb calls a better game against zone coverage than he does against man coverage. And and I think I think Mike Penix probably throws better better against his own coverage than he does against man coverage. So we'll have to see. I, I think you're going to see a little bit more man from, from Cal. And, and um, you know, I talked to, a, I've talked to a couple uh, coaches and they said, Washington runs more man than almost any team in the entire country on their defensive side of the ball. And so I think Washington um, is used to playing against man in, 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 in practice, but you know, when it comes to in the games, they they are not getting off their, the press as quickly as they really need to. Chris, are you expecting Romo Dunsey to get a little bit of extra uh, attention this week? Well, he is Washington's leading receiver. I mean, he's got 44 catches for nearly 700 yards, six touchdowns. Um, The one thing I'd add to that discussion, Scott, and the reason why I think Washington's receivers are getting open as, as, as well as they have been is the threat of the deep ball. The defenses absolutely have to respect what Washington does over the top. Right now they have five receivers with catches of of 30 yards or longer, and one of them's a running back. So you can't, you just can't spy on one guy. And just, if you take one guy away, let's say they take a Dunze away. Let's say Roma Dunze gets five catches for like 50 yards or something like that. Let's say, you know, maybe he's a more of a possession guy today than, than he normally would be. Jalen McMillan can beat him over the top. Giles Jackson can beat him over the top. Jalen Polk can beat him over the top. And we're not even talking about Taj Davis. You know, we're not talking about what about a guy like a, a, a Junior Alexander that comes up. Maybe he becomes a factor. We're not talking about the tight ends. Yeah. You know, you, it, West, it seems like every game that they've tried to go deep in their first series. Every time it just seems like they're trying to get that deep ball, whether they complete it or not, to really open things up. Yeah, I think that's a tenet of what Ryan Grubb wants to do. I think he wants to not just send a message that they're that they're not going to be dissuaded from from trying a deep shot, regardless of what they see defensively, but also the idea that you're going to have to respect it throughout the entire game. So let's say that let's say they play let's say they play true quarters defense and they're and they're trying to keep let's say Cal's trying to keep everything literally in front of them. I, I talked about this in my prediction. Michael Penix has to make sure that he does not get um, not uncomfortable. That's the wrong word, but he can't get bored by taking the easy money and by taking the 10 yard shots or the 15 yard shots. He has to be able to make sure that he understands that is still really, really successful stuff because that's the easy money. I, I know, I know he's made a living this year already by going over the top. 
But if Cal is is hell bent and determined on double doubling guys up, bracketing guys up deep, whether that's through the seams or over on the edges, he's got to be able to find those guys underneath and and just keep those chains moving and keep those chains moving. Scott, can you remember an offense where they've thrown as many deep balls as they have this year? Oh, there's been uh, Steve Sarkeesian loved him some deep, deep passes. So uh, but in recent memory, no. I mean, uh, Jonathan Smith and Chris Peterson and Bush Hamden when he was here, they they didn't throw the ball deep very much. Um, they were more on the intermediate routes. You know, they take their shots every now and then, but not as much as this this offense does. And, <clears throat> and then John Donovan, I don't think we need to talk about very much. So, <clears throat> sorry, <clears throat> need to clear my throat there. But um, I I think Washington really likes to take their deep shots, and and if the, if it's there, great. If not, then um, you know it was funny because Penix uh, was talking about post in the post game about how he was going to get in trouble in film study because the guy, his first read was wide open on that juggling touchdown pass uh, reception by Romo Dunsey. And he said, I'm going to get in trouble because my first read was actually wide open. I had him, but he said, I saw that the the safety had come down. And so that we had one-on-one and that's why I took my throw over the top, but really I should have thrown it to the other guy, but I just took a chance and we we scored on it and I don't think he got in that much trouble but um I'm sure that that Grub will be like hey this is designed for this I don't mind you taking a shot over the top but you better complete it. I think the running game has been disappointing all year. I know that uh last year we thought that the running game was going to be a big strength of the team and we thought it was deep and that just hasn't panned out and now they're a little bit banged up and they brought in a couple of transfers, one we've seen quite a bit in in Wayne Talapapa, the other one I don't even know where Aaron Dumas is gone, but uh, has he even got a carry this year? No. Yeah, and I mean that's all we saw in Well, he ball. He wasn't even dressed out uh, for practice, so he might be dealing with an injury because he wasn't even dressed out for practice when we uh, were down there interviewing the players on Tuesday. Yeah, just kind of odd, you know, where we thought, you know, Chris, you were really big on Talapapa because he seemed to be that guy that had a nose for the end zone down in the red zone. Um, And uh, we're not seeing that so much out of him. We've seen those struggles on fourth and short and third and third and short. But, uh, you know, Wayne Talapapa. Cam Davis seemed to be the main two guys. Not sure if Richard Newton is going to be back. And then out of necessity, um, uh, why am I spacing? Um, the the freshman running back. Uh, JV on Sunday? No, no, no. The other guy. Why am I spacing? Sam Adams? Sam Adams, yeah. We've seen wow. Sam Adams out of necessity more than anything. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, but um, – <laughs> Yeah, so the running game, like like I said, it's been a big disappointment because I, th- I think the offensive line um, is playing pretty well, but we haven't seen the production at running back that I well, think we anticipated. A couple of things I would say about Talapapa, Kim. First of all, he has four touchdowns, so it's not like he hasn't found the end zone at all. Secondly, when we talk about the fourth and short or third and short or whatever, I- I'm not sure I would lay that at Talapapa's feet because if you look at what Ryan Grubbs run, He's running the he's running side to side. He's running sweeps. He's running flies. He's running other things to try to get guys around the corner. And it's usually guys like Giles Jackson or Roma Dunze or whoever, and they're getting trapped and they don't have anywhere to go. So they haven't fooled anybody. Um, but I would so I wouldn't put that on the feet of, of Tal Papa. Um, that said, uh, Cameron Davis wrote about it this week. He has really found a niche of of, of doing that and. Um, nine touchdowns and, and six games played for him so far. That's really, really, really good. And I'm glad that he's kind of reestablished himself after we were kind of wondering where his place would be this year after going out and getting guys like Telepapa or uh, guys like Will Nixon or Dumas or some of these other guys. Um, the other thing I'd say, guys, honestly, you took you take a look at the top three running backs right now, and I'm including Richard Newton in that because he's the third, he's been the third most productive running back. All those guys are averaging more than five yards a carry. So to say that Washington hasn't run the ball very well, I don't know. I think it's misleading a little bit. I I, I think what, what's happened is, is I think those numbers could be so much better because what I'm seeing is I'm seeing running backs that aren't displaying the vision and the, and the ability to find those lanes. They seem to be more intent on running up the backs of the linemen and expecting that hole to all of a sudden open up where 
maybe it was designed to go, instead of instinctively finding that cutback, using that vision to be able to find more yards. And I think that's been the frustrating part because you see, you know, when Scott and I are up up above in the press box, we can see those holes open up. And there's been a lot of meat left on that bone. But it, to say that it's been disappointing, yeah, I get it. But it's not like these guys are averaging three yards a carry. They're averaging well over five yards a carry, well, all of those guys. Chris, you remember that one play last week where Cameron Davis just ran in, right into the guy who was being yeah. blocked. Yeah. I mean, it was – and there was such a huge hole. He could have had a 10-yard run. And we we both were like, what the heck? You know, I mean, for a talented back like Cameron Davis to do that, it just shocked both of us. And Scott, when we talk about the running backs that they have on the roster right now, is Tybo Rogers coming in next year? Is he something different that they don't currently have on the roster? Um, yes, a little bit. Uh, he's a little bit shiftier, um, and that's if he's healthy. I mean, he hasn't been healthy very much this uh, his senior season, so um, we'll have to wait and see. But uh, he's he's much shiftier. He's a guy that they can actually split out and play wide receiver. like and, and they've done that with Cam Davis, and they've done that with Wayne Talapapa. But this guy is a true guy who could be a wide receiver uh, if he wasn't built more like a running back. So he's got natural running back skills. I think he'd be, he'll be a great fit in this offense if he can stay healthy. And I still think in the transfer portal, they're going to look to bring in a dynamic running back. We'll see if there's yeah. any available, but I still think that they're going to look for. Yeah, Kim, something. I think there's probably 100 teams that are looking for dynamic running backs. So, yeah. you know, it's, <laughs> you know, it's I mean, and when Washington is only running the ball, I don't know. What is it about 40 percent of the time? I think some of those running backs are going to take note of that and, and they might not want to be a part of something like that. We'll see. Yeah, it'll be interesting. So we'll see what happens. And uh, we're going to take a quick break. Word from our sponsors. And when we come back, we'll talk a little bit of, you know, get a quick recruiting update. Some interesting stuff going on in basketball as well. We'll cover that and more when we return. It's the guys from Dogman.com on Dogman Radio. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam experience maximum comfort throughout the game it's lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition the two-way v4 gives you the tools to play at a high level learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We're back. I'm Kim Grinolds with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund. 7.30 kickoff at Cal Memorial Stadium tonight, Washington versus Cal. Um... I think Jen Cohen is down at the Pac-12 meetings this week, so I'll try to catch up with Jen tonight, hopefully see her on the sidelines, see if there's any kind of an update. But uh, everything that's going on on the TV side seems to be a little bit tight-lipped and, you know, just rumors, 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 but nothing really concrete. So we'll see if I can get any input from Jen on that. Scott, recruiting. Uh, coaches out on the road last night a little bit and uh, looking forward to the bye week next week. Yeah, yeah. Um, at, at least two, if not three, um, are were expected to be out at games la- last night. I'm tr- still trying to find out where they went and who they went to see. I know uh, Brown, uh, Julius Brown, was out probably watching a few few guys. Uh, if not 2023 guys, then 2024 and 2025 guys. Just want to be on the field, showing your face out there and doing your thing. I know uh, Lee Marks is going to be heading um i've i've heard from some people down at modern day that uh he'll be um heading down to the modern day servite game during the bye week so um i don't think he was on the road this week but you'll you know once i get those out and hopefully i'll have something for uh the blog on monday but uh um still trying to find out where they went but uh the coaches were out recruiting a little bit last night and um you know, I think you're going to see – I don't think you'll see very many guys on on uh, the on the sidelines for the game against Oregon State on uh, uh, Friday night when they come back. But 
um, for the last week against Colorado senior night, you're going to see a, I think you'll see a pretty decent contingent of, of local guys and out of state guys coming up. Uh, Cause a lot of teams will be done with their seasons by the time that Colorado game rolls around. So, um, you know, just keep an eye out for that. We'll keep you updated on blogs and, and on interviews with players as we get them. Hey Scott, I haven't asked you for, uh, for a while. How many spots do they have left? I have four or five um, spots, 23, 24 guys. They have 19 in the class currently. 23-24 is what the plan is to take, um, but some of those might be held for roster spots for um, transfers. So you might only see two or more, two maybe three more um, high school guys, and you're you're going to see some movement in Husky commits. I I, th- I don't think we're going to go through this cycle without seeing a decommit or a guy open things up. Maybe UW decides to move on and 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 says, hey, if you want to go see other schools, go for it. We'll 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 keep looking around too and and just kind of see where things go but at this point i think you'll see two or three more high school guys added to the class and the rest will be saved for uh transfer guys well and, and let's let's remember guys they actually have had a decommit in this cycle but it's not for the 23 class or the 24 class or the 24 class yeah, <laughs> yeah. it was the 20 2025 commit Lamason waller uh offensive skill player I, I don't know if he was recruited as a, a receiver or running back but he's already opened things back up, which all we due all respect knew that to him. <laughs> yeah, all due respect to him. We, even when he committed, most of us kind of understood that that thing was going to get opened up anyways, just because it was so early in his commitment. He, I don't think he was ready for the for the kind of attention that he was going to get. And so I, I looked at this as something that was pretty inevitable. With the spots left, Chris, uh, um, Scott, what is the position priority? What do they need the most? Uh, they probably need to add another running back uh, in the class. They probably need to add another defensive defense. tackle. Yeah. What? Maybe two defensive tackles. Well, no, I don't see two. I just see one, maybe one. Um, yeah, they have then, one already in Armand yeah. Parker that's redshirting. So. Yeah, and then they've got Alinius Davis and uh, Lafotu from uh, – St. John Bosco. So um, that's kind of, I think they. I wouldn't be surprised if they add another one. Um, I also think they'd like to add another edge, and I think they'd like to add another uh, defensive back. I think Caleb Berry is a guy that could be right for the pick, and he's uh, commit to Oregon. But I know that Washington's been talking to him quite a bit. He's been in at least one game, if not two, of their home games, and he's a guy just to keep an eye on. Caleb Berry out of Rainier Beach. Um, I'm sorry, I said Caleb Berry. Caleb Presley out of Rainier Beach, um, and he's a four-star guy, you know, and I don't know if he's quite a four-star guy in my book, but, um, you know, Scout has him there, and and um, he's a guy who uh, I know that the Husky coaches are after. Any um, individual updates on uh, guys out there, uh, Scott? Uh, not necessarily. I mean, I've been talking to a lot of the commits because their, their senior seasons are almost over with, at least for, as far as the regular season is concerned. Um, uh, Tafai, um, Kali Tafai is still recovering from an injury. Tybo Rogers injury. Um, Curly Reed is playing really well down in, in, uh, uh, Louisiana. I had finally been able to get in touch with somebody down there who could give me some stats for him and he's playing really well. Um, I know that uh, Jacob Lane is a guy who's hoping to be back this weekend, but uh, I don't know if he played last night or not. Um, I need to kind of reach out and find out. He was hoping to be back um, this week for their game against Graham Kapowson, but if not, he said he'd probably just hold off until the playoffs, but he's expected to be back. Just several guys dealing with some nicks and and injuries that that are keeping him out of some games, but uh, I think you're going to see a lot of these guys finish strong. Hey, Scott, real, real, real quick, Kim, I was just curious because I know probably there's some some recruitings out there that would be very curious about Curly Reed. Obviously made a commitment, um, was injured a lot of last year, so I think he kind of fell under the radar a little bit, which helped Washington and their recruitment quite a bit. But I think there's always been kind of this underlying idea that if he did have a monster year this year, that maybe some of the bigger schools would come calling. Do you expect that to be the case? Um, I don't know. I, we're getting down to the nitty-gritty. I mean, we're only – what uh two months away 50 days away from signing day so you know i i i think washington is still in pretty good shape with him i know that he talked to coach brown relatively recently and uh, they usually keep keep track of each other he curly reed did get back to me and said he talked to him at least once a week um and and so i i think he's pretty excited about coming up and playing at washington i think 
Washington's really selling the uh, the playing time aspect. Him and uh, Leroy Bryan, I talked with him as well. Those two guys are are two guys who had schools still talking to them, but they both said uh, they both said to me at different times that there's a there's playing time available and and they're looking to come in and and have the opportunity to at least come in and play and and see if they can win a spot. So um, I don't I don't I'm not as worried about uh, them them flipping as I maybe would have been at the beginning of the season. But um, Chris, as you noted, weird things happen, man. It's recruiting and especially with NIL nowadays and all those different things and all the handlers that these kids have nowadays, it's, it's real hard to predict, especially guys that are from out of state. I can get a little bit better read on in-state guys for that kind of stuff, but out of state guys are are a lot harder to, to really read and judge on that. With the bye week next week, we should be able to get a lot more recruiting updates uh, next don't, week. Don't oversell it, Kim. These kids are in the middle of their season. They aren't returning calls like they used to, so it's well, not I'll as make, easy. Maybe I'll make some calls. Maybe the name will make them answer their phone. Yeah, maybe. Time. Yeah, never, yeah, we'll you, see. You never know. So, <laughs> Quick basketball update. Uh, the Cal game, of course, tonight at 7.30, but media day down at Pac-12 headquarters, which I thought that they had shuttered, but evidently they have not. Media basketball day Wednesday down in uh, San Francisco at the Pac-12 headquarters. I will be there. Had a chance to have a couple conversations with some of the coaches and really excited about basketball. Um, they had the uh, – exhibition game the uh that they can't really talk about much but they had that game against utah state which wasn't you know it's not a matter of who won or anything that's more to get guys on film and work on some stuff but um hearing really good things about frank kepnong and the dog pack is going to fall in love with the big big man frank uh, kepnong the transfer from oregon He's almost seven foot. He's about 260 pounds. He's really smart, and he's a monster, and he's feisty as hell. And word has it that uh, the two bigs, Braxton Mia and Frank Kepning, pretty much get after it every day. So a skirmish in practice is pretty much an anticipated uh, event on every practice. And good things coming from the basketball team. And the one guy that, and I mentioned this out on the board, every time I ask about Keon Menafield, I just get this weird look with this weird smile and the glimmer in the eye. Keep an eye on Keon Menafield. He's the guard from Michigan. He's 6'2 and 145 pounds. Uh, Will Conroy told me he's a mini Jamal Crawford. Evidently, he scored 20 plus in the game against Utah State. And he's had 30-something in their scrimmage. And Mike Hopkins is going to have an issue with uh, trying to keep an eight-man rotation because he's got guys banging in the door. Evidently, Corin Johnson, who had off-season shoulder surgery, uh, got cleared a couple of days ago. And he's full-time ready to go. But I think basketball, uh, Ken Palma, I think, has him rated number 113 in the country. And Coach Hopkins told me, I wish they'd picked this last. you know. And then they're going to be predicted really low down in the order probably in the Pac-12 media pool, but don't sleep on Washington basketball. I think they're going to be a lot better than people think. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that at all, Chris. No, just that uh, I think it is a, a time to be really cautiously optimistic if you're a Washington basketball fan. I mean, they, I think the biggest thing for me, just in not having seen a lot of these guys, like, I mean, obviously you saw Kepnang when he played for Oregon, but not having really seen Braxton Mia up close, not having seen, you know, guys like Menafield and Corn Johnson and some of these other guys. Um, it's going to be interesting to see the dynamic and see who picks up the scoring load because Terrell Brown was the guy last year. Who's going to be that guy this year? I mean, I think a lot of people expect it's going to be Keon Brooks, but who who knows? Is it going to be, is the wealth going to be spread a little bit more this season? But again, I think the, the biggest thing that I think that, um, Mike Hopkins has done that should be of most interest to Washington fans is him going back and recruiting length for the zone. Because when the zone is really operating at a very high level, and yes, they don't have that unique, talented kid up top like a Batiste Thibel, a guy who's an absolute game changer defensively. But when you have guys with real length who can disrupt lanes and, you know, protect the rim and do those kinds of things and that can lead to easy transition offense, to me, when the zone is operating at its best, that's when I think Washington can be a real difference maker in the Pac-12. And I think that they've really started 
to get back to those fundamentals and recruit that length and recruit that size and recruit those types of guys with that kind of mentality. You talk about the guys fighting in practice. We know Noah Williams has that nasty streak in him. I think these are things that if they show up the right way on defense can be game changers. And I think that's the thing that I would be really excited about if I was a Washington basketball fan. Well, last year you had Terrell Brown and um, uh, Deshaun Davis up front on top of the zone at what, 6'1 and 6'2. And they've exchanged that for P.J. Fuller at 6'4", uh, Noah Williams at 6'5", Jamal Bay at 6'6", Keon Brooks at 6'8", and then Frank Kepnong at 6'11". And then the first guy off the bench is probably going to be uh, Cole Bajima at 6'7", Langston Wilson at 6'8", um, who am I missing here? Jackson Grant at 6'11". And, uh, I mean, they've got some guys coming off the bench with length. And then Keon Menefield coming in, who seems to be that scorer that they've lacked. That guy with that scorer's mentality. But I think the biggest thing that you're going to notice in this team coming up this year is with Frank Kavnong and Noah Williams. Those guys are just hard nose. I'm going to get in your face. I'm going to throw elbows. They're just tough guys. Profanity alert. I won't tell you who said it, but they said, Kim, Noah Williams is an asshole, but he's ours. <laughs> teams are not teams do not like playing against Noah Williams, and they're not going to be like playing against Frank Kepnong. This is going to be a tough, physical, physical team. They'll probably have some scoring issues at time, but I think the zone defense and that toughness and the way they go after it and the way they play this game, Bopak's going to go crazy on some of these guys. And having that guy who can come in and score, if Keon Minifield can score with the way that I'm hearing he can, um, that's going to be a big asset for this team. So we'll see what happens. And I also expect Keon Brooks to you know, be a big offensive presence and open things up a little bit more for Jamal Bay. And hopefully he has a bounce back year uh, when it comes to his shooting. So Kim, Kim, I, would, I would say, I was going to say, I would say one thing real quick before we get off the basketball thing. I do think that one of the real X factors for this upcoming season is that the Noah Williams of two years ago needs yeah. to be the one that shows up, not the Noah Williams of last year. And yes, I to give all due respect to Noah. There was a lot of stuff off the court last year that was going on. A lot of things that would have contributed to him not being as effective as he should have been last year. And I'm sure he probably would be the first person to say that. But as we saw, with him two years ago when everything was right in his world and he was getting everything done that he needed to. And that allowed him to play the ultimate style of Noah Williams type basketball. If he can get back to that, he is a different cat. He is a different guy. And let's, and let's, if, let's tell people what happened. He got busted going into a bar using fake ID. There was an assault charge filed against him by the bouncer. He was suspended from all team activities during the investigations. And it till, took until like June for the film to come out for the assault charges to be dropped because the bouncer was the aggressor. But during all of that time, he was suspended from the team and he wasn't able to participate. And just the frustration from him knowing that, yeah, he used the fake ID, but the assault charges is what the big deal was. And he, it was like he lost a lot of trust in the coaching staff because they didn't believe in him and back him. And I'm telling you right now, the work he's doing with Will Conroy, we're going to see a different Noah Williams than we saw last year at Washington State. Well, there's there's no question. I, I think he is in a much, much better place. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But that has to transition into him getting back to his best basketball, which is what we saw two years ago obviously not last year. So if they if he can recapture that form, Kim, I don't think there's any doubt that Noah Williams is exactly what Washington needs at this point in time. But it has to be the Noah Williams that we saw early in his career, yeah. not what we saw last year. Yeah, also expecting a, a better version of P.J. Fuller. P.J. had transcript issues and to get into qualified to get into UW. He had to finish some classes. Um, and he couldn't get in right away. So he didn't show up until the beginning of 
um, fall quarter. So that put him kind of behind the eight ball a little bit, but he's been here for a full year now and they've finally been able to practice. So expecting a better version of PJ Fuller too, but I think Noah Williams could be um, a defensive player of the year candidate. So, you know, just keep an eye on that. Like I said, just, I'm really bullish on basketball and really excited to see what this team is going to do. Um, they're going to lose some games, no doubt about that, but I'm excited to see just the resilience and the toughness um, and the hard, uh, how hard they play this year. Cause I think it's going to be a fun year. Especially. I would also say too, real quick before we finish on that, they've got to see a different Jamal Bay this year. He has got to become a leader. He's got, he's just been here for way too long. He knows exactly what coach hop wants from him. And I know that they had, I'm sure they had a lot of in-depth conversations this off season, probably some real Frank talk about what the expectations are for him because you know right now he literally is in his last gasp this is the last chance for him to really make a difference and we're going to find out pretty quickly whether or not that fact has really been impressed upon him to the point where he changed where he's literally changed some things and i think first and foremost with the youth of this team he's got to be step he's got to be able to step up and be held to account and be that guy that they can look at, you know, whether it's just to calm guys down or to get guys going, add some energy, do whatever he needs to do. He's got to become that guy right now. He's got to get out of that shell and he's got to start leading a little bit because this is this, like I said, this is his last chance. He could be the eighth guy real quick. He could yeah. be the eighth guy real quick. Yeah, without a doubt. And yeah. And so. and you know what that I'm not saying that necessarily is a good or a bad thing from Washington's perspective. In many ways, that could be a good thing because we're seeing other guys step up. Maybe Menafield does become that that additional score that they really really need, and he takes up some of that slack. But the bottom line is, I think Washington is in a much better place when they have a veteran guy like Jamal Bay stepping up and being held to account, and he can because we've seen it what, a couple of years yeah. ago. He led the league in shooting, like from three, right? Like it was just there were things about his game where he showed those flashes, but it's been so inconsistent. And Cole this Badgema is the time is, he's got to step up. Cole Badgham is on his heels, he's wanting the playing time. He's gonna for sure. Hey guys, time to wrap it up. Chris Fetters, just wrap it up for us. Yeah, I just think that tonight it's it's uh, gonna be another one of those long nights. Pac-12 after dark at Cal, and we all know again what happened. The last time uh, Washington traveled to Cal, it was not a, it was it was definitely the most unexpected thing I think we could have imagined. And so I think everything is probably up for grabs here. But if you look at what Washington's done in scoring, they're averaging 42 points a game. Cal's giving up about 20 or they're they're scoring about 24 points a game. So I looked at it. I added another touchdown to Cal's deal because that's home advantage, what have you. So I have them, Washington winning 42-31, kind of by the numbers. and I just, But I just have this feeling that there's going to be some plays, whether it's sudden change plays, those turnovers deep in territory, fourth down, uh, lack of conversions. There's going to be something that happens with Washington tonight where they're going to have to overcome some adversity, just like they did at UCLA, just like they did at Arizona State. We'll see how successful they are in doing that. And if they can mitigate those moments, but for the rest of the game, play field position, pin Cal deep, make them go full fields, neutralize Jaden Nod as much as you can and force Jack Plummer to really have to win this game with his arm. I think that's the formula Washington needs to win defensively in order to take that first road win. So I think I see them winning, but I also see a lot of weird things happening with kind of that traditional Pac-12 after dark thing that happens. Wrap it up, Scott Eklund. Uh Just to echo everything Chris said, um, you know, I, I think Washington, if they stay away from the turnovers, they're going to win this game. And I think they'll win by double digits if they stay away from the turnovers. But like Chris said, weird things happen on Pac-12 after dark. Weird things happen down at Cal for Washington. It's a road game. Granted, it's on turf. And I think that's definitely going to help Washington uh, when they're on the road down there. And, uh you know, I think Washington comes away with a with a relatively easy win tonight, but um, it is it is going to be a struggle at times. And so, um, you know, fans are just going to have to get ready and, and buckle up. But uh, I think Washington comes away with a win. 
bye week, Scott. Are you just going to take a couple of days on your own, maybe go chase a little bit of sun, maybe get a little bit of me time? Nope. Nope. I'm going to be doing my best to cover recruiting. And uh, also, um, I'm sure there will be at least one or two days of, of me, uh, media availability this week. So, yeah. All right. Uh, looking forward to the game tonight. Looking forward to basketball on Wednesday. So just keep it here at dogman.com. We will keep you covered even during the bye week. We'll have our midseason, even though it's past midseason, we'll have our midseason grades coming out and evaluations uh, you know, during the bye week. So still be a lot of coverage during the bye week. So just keep it here at dogman.com. So for all of us here at dogman.com, I'm Kim Grenolds along with Chris Fetters and Scott Eckland. Go dogs. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.